Production of Progressive Parenting Network and GinaKirby.com. No material on this radio program should be considered medical advice. This is a listener-funded program. And now, your host, Gina Kirby. Being a parent is the hardest job you'll ever have, and Progressive Parenting understands this and wants you to know that you are not alone. My name is Gina Kirby, and I'm your guest. I'm going to get right into today's program. I have the pleasure and the honor of being able to speak with Dr. Stuart Fishbein today. He is an, obst- an obstetrician in Southern California since 1986. I am always excited to have him on our program as um, he's made it his goal to teach, speak, and write about the normalcy of birth choices, the ethics of respecting women's autonomy and decision-making, and reasonable evidence-supported options of selected VBAC, breech, and twin vaginal birth. And today we're going to be talking about breech birth. And I am very excited to have uh, such a great sport back on the program. Sorry about that, Dr. Stewart. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> that's fine. That was a much shorter introduction this time. That's That was good. Well, I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> so, no. No, I don't know. The, te- you know, the te- technical glitches happen all the time, so no problem. Yeah. So yeah. where do we leave off? Well, well we left off. Uh, I, I kind of want to just touch base on a couple of things that I thought were the most important about what we were talking about. And so what everybody missed out on with that, we were talking about how a lot of people, a lot of women who are um, uh, told that their baby is breech aren't really told the entire story. What they're told is that, well, now your baby is breech. It turns out you're going to have to have a C-section. And what we discussed was that that's not really informed consent. Correct. That is basically a violation of medical ethics when you're only told what the doctor wants you to hear, when they skew their counseling to get you to do what they want them to do. Um, It may be that the only choice you have with that physician or that institution is a cesarean section, but they should should counsel you in that way then. They should say, listen, breach delivery is a reasonable option for properly selected women, but we don't do it here, and I don't know how to do it. So if you wanted to get a second opinion from someone who does, I'd be more than happy to support that decision. Or if you don't, then a cesarean section is the best choice in, with me and my institution. That would be more accurate informed consent. But that's certainly not what's happening. They're basically told that if you try a breech delivery, your baby's head will get stuck and the baby will have brain damage. And that's what they're told because people tend to visualize with the head coming out last that that's a problem, even though babies are not breathing using their mouths and their nose and their tracheas until they're outside Anyway, they're getting their oxygen through their umbilical cord from mom all through the labor process, whether the baby's head first or butt first. 
Yeah, well, and doctors know that, so why are they so terrified by breach? Well, you know, you always, you know, to quote, to take a quote from the Batman movie, you always fear what you don't understand. Okay, <laughs> and uh, you know, they don't know how to do it, and they've been living in an environment that's full of fear. And you know, there's the dreaded, uh, you know, worst case scenario world that we live in. And you know, we don't know about the planes that land safely every day. We only know about the planes that crash. You know, mm-hmm. so that is um, one of the things that happens. And, of course, when there's a bad outcome, it's, you know, that makes the headlines, that makes the news, and that makes people get sued or get scared of being sued. And so people think that by doing a cesarean section, they're avoiding uh, liability. And, they're, you know, clearly, if you don't know how to do it, that's the only choice you have because you shouldn't be doing breach delivery if you're not comfortable with it. And no one's comfortable with it anymore because, the faculty at most residency training programs in this country have let their students down by not teaching it. So why only aren't have they that teaching? Option. Why aren't they teaching breech birth? It happens. It's not like people stopped having breech babies. No, it's three to four percent of the population. Uh, why did they stop teaching it? They mainly stopped teaching it because of a really bad paper that came out in 2001 called the Term Breech Trial, and it was a study that showed initially that. Um, it was safer to deliver breech babies by cesarean section, but the study, as we mentioned in the first segment, was was flawed terribly, and they included things that weren't supposed to be included. And within two years, they, their own data showed that there was really no difference between babies born vaginally or by cesarean. And with by you know, and a few years later, the, a, a study that was four times larger came out of Europe and showed that there was really no difference and that the, the term breach trials recommendation should be withdrawn. The American College of OBGYN, the Royal College of OBGYN in England, and the Society of OBGYN of Canada all came out with guidelines saying that breach delivery in properly selected, hand, uh, properly selected breach delivery in trained hands is a reasonable option, yet the damage had been done, and the, it had been effectively removed from training programs, and it's never been brought back, and now it's been 15 years, and um, there's a whole generation of OBGYNs that don't know how to do breach delivery. Why it's not being re- brought back into the programs is a mystery to me. I think it's convenience. I think it's economics. Um, there are plenty of physicians still alive who know how to do breach delivery who would be more than happy to, to, to train future generations, but they're not welcome in those programs. Uh, mm. And I'm not speaking about myself. I know... My my friend and colleague, Dr. Wu in Glendale, he does breach deliveries in the hospital setting, and I've asked him a couple of times, if, you know, when you're doing a breach delivery, do any of the other OBs in the in the department, it's not a teaching hospital in that, in that regard, but just any other OBs in the department ever come and watch? And he says, no, they don't come. They're not interested. Wow. They'd rather do a cesarean section at 730 in the morning. It's just more convenient. Oh, so it's goodness. scary. But the young people, the young, the young, the midwives <laughs> and the young residents, and the medical students, they ought to demand this. They ought, they ought to start making demands on their programs. And when they interview for residency programs, they should say, hey, are you teaching breach delivery? Are you teaching um, second twin breach extraction? Are you teaching versions, external versions? Are you teaching forceps? And if they say no, um, if I were, a, if I were a, a eager medical student, I'd look elsewhere for a residency program. Right. Um, once, you know, if the consumers start to demand it, it will come back. Because the science is already there, and they're ignoring it. 
So well, there has to be some kind of which they practice. There's got to be some Sorry. kind of demand. I mean, you've been you've been seeing a lot of breech births in your practice, so people are going to you specifically for that, right? Well, yes, but it's a very small number of of breech births. I mean, technically, I mean, I probably I don't I can't speak with any any scientific fact. But I would suspect I've done more breach deliveries in the last five years in this country than just about anybody else. And that's not well, a lot. It's like 30, 38 or 39 breach deliveries. All right? So it, that doesn't sound like a lot. But, you know, uh, if 3 to 4% of the babies uh, are breached, and, and say Los Angeles County has 100,000 births a year, that means there's three to 4,000, you know, um, breach births every year, of which maybe half of those would qualify meet the criteria, maybe more than half. And, you know, that's 2,000 breaches a year. That's what, how many is that a month? You know, I don't uh, know, what is that? Uh, I, can't, I can't do the math in my head. Math. It's like 180, <laughs> like 180 a month. It's like yeah. 180 breach deliveries a month in Los Angeles County alone. You know, think how many people could be trained on that if you had a center. Even if you got, even if you got 10% of that and you got 18 breaches a month, you could train, you know, any physician who comes and spends two months there as a resident could get 25, 30 breach deliveries under their belt, they could come out and they could start teaching the next generation. So that's where it starts, and it starts by getting centers going. And unfortunately, the regulations and the rules and, and the liability and insurance and legalities of starting a center are very, very difficult um, in in the states that I've looked at so far, like California and Oregon. Um, there's, there's, there's just rules that make it out really difficult to do, even though like, for, for instance, Oregon, uh, Gina, a midwife can do a breach delivery in Oregon. In, in California, it's illegal. Mm. But a midwife can do a breach delivery at home in Oregon, but she can't do a breach delivery in a birth center in what? Oregon. Yeah, so go figure. Well, Think how, about people, how is my body different people, at a birth center and, a, and, and at home? How is it different? Well, how is that safer? What if a woman lives 20 miles out on a farm and she wants right. to have a breach delivery and she can have it at a birth center across the street from a, from a university setting no, she can't have that. She has to have it at her house on the farm. It's like, who sat in a room in, in Salem, Oregon, and came up with this stuff? I mean, oh how did they, how, who lobbied for these things? Don't you wonder? I mean, there's no paper trail on this sort of stuff, but it would be wonderful. It would be a wonderful mystery to figure out, like, who decided that we were going to ban brief delivery in birth centers but not in right. homes. Where's the logic behind that? I think we have a caller. Let me just double-check really quick. Hi, caller. You're live on sure. the air. Did you have a comment or a question? Hey, this is Hannah from Alabama. I just wanted to say how thankful I was to hear this topic being discussed. And um, I came in late, so it may have already been talked about, but I guess my question for whenever is just how consumers uh, can encourage their local practitioners to overcome their liability concerns and to seek training in breach birth. And that was really my question with calling in today. Well, thanks for calling. Stay on the line, and we're going to go ahead and get that question answered for you. So did you get all that, Dr. Fishbein? Yeah, I got that from Hannah in Alabama. I love that. Yeah, I love it. Um, Hannah, I think that you're not going to convince people that are already out in practice to go get training. First of all, they can't leave their practices. They're financially invested in them. You can't take two, three months and go off to Germany and do that. It's too hard, nor would they want to. They're already settled in their practice. So the, the key is to approach uh, medical students, medical schools, residency programs in your area and in, in your state, and start writing letters. Get get the um, you know get your uh, grassroots organizations to start writing letters and saying, 
that this is a reasonable option. And, you know, if you wanted to, Gina wants to, I can give some links uh, yes, through her website or something, not on air, but through her website, yes. some papers and things that could support your position. And then you can um, take these to those people and start to, you know, make a grassroots movement to get to brought back. It's the only way it's going to happen is for the next generation to demand uh, this because you can't ask physicians who don't know how to do it to do it. And uh, physicians are, you know, physicians don't, if they stand out, if they, like, like me or other physicians, they tend to get pounded on um, by the system. And so you either have to be very strong or you just get beaten up. And so a physician that wants to try to do breach delivery in an institution that, that doesn't want him doing it or her doing it is going to get beaten up and possibly kicked off staff or brought up on sham peer reviews, that type of things. So it's very hard to buck the system as it is. It has to be changed from the bottom um, because the top isn't going to change it. These people at the top, these people that run these programs, they know what they're doing is wrong. Or they have a, or they have complete cognitive dissonance in thinking that they're own, they have to have that because it's the only way to live with your life. I don't think they're mean people. I don't think that they go to work every day and saying, "How can we section more breaches or or not allow them back or or that sort of thing?" I think that they really believe what they're doing. But in order to believe that, you have to fool yourself into ignoring all the evidence that 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 there are reasonable choices elsewhere. And medical ethics, which we're all supposed to be following and swore to uphold dictates that if there are reasonable choices, we have an obligation as physicians to support those choices. And support could look like I said, as 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 I said in the first episode, could look like assisting them with that choice, or it could be saying, listen, I don't know how to do that, but there are guys around the country or around this area that know how. Why don't you go see them, have a consult, and come back and talk to me? That would be a, that would be ethically um, proper, as opposed to saying that you know you're an idiot if you if you're trying to do this. Or anybody who does this is an idiot. You know, that doctor over there that does these breaches at home, he's crazy. All right? That's that's a form of cognitive dissonance. That's a way of dismissing your opponent by by becoming pejorative. Well, and if if no one's ever seen it done, then there has to be, like you said, there's that fear of, of what's happening. And you see, like, a body come out first and the head's, quote, unquote, stuck inside. That's the idea. Um, I, you said that earlier. Uh, I hate to make you repeat it, but you were talking about um, like if our head was stuck in a in a log, <laughs> that, that right. would be painful. Yeah, I mean, we 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 anthropomorphize fetuses because we we give them our characteristics because we think they're little people, but they aren't really little people yet until they come out because they're they're not getting their oxygen the way you and I get our oxygen. They're getting their oxygen through their umbilical cord. So if their head's the last thing out, it doesn't matter. All right. I mean, it's no different than if you know the head's in the vagina and their head first. You know, they're getting their oxygen through their umbilical cord. They're not breathing through their nose and mouth and trachea. Um, so it's, it's you know, we, we project on them how we would feel if we were stuck in that, and we get fearful. And, of course, you know, the head getting stuck can be a very scary thing if you don't know what to do, but it's a really rare thing. And if you pick your patients properly um, and you have the skill and knowledge of how to assist breach delivery or, as a lot of my colleagues would say, not assist breach delivery, like not pull on the baby, not do things, just let it come out naturally, you're going to find that you don't have those bad outcomes. And, again, the, the training of, of putting on Piper forceps and stuff is a skill that's really going to become extinct um, if, if we don't do something different, which is to get the training programs back on board or to set up our own sort of breach centers, to freestanding breach birth centers 
like they have yeah. freestanding uh, surgery centers or freestanding infertility centers or freestanding liposuction centers. I mean, I don't want to equate this important normal bodily function with those things, but, but you know, those things are lucrative and those things um, can survive. It's, it, there's plenty of, uh, of interest in breach delivery, especially in the midwifery community, which is why California is so insane because they've made it illegal for midwives to do breach delivery while they're not training doctors to do it, which right. is just schizophrenic. It's just completely it schizophrenic. Is. That's a good word for it. Uh, we have another caller really quick. I want to get to him. Uh, hi, caller. You're live on the air. Did you have a comment or a question? Nope. All right. That's all right. If you do have a comment or a question, please press the number one on your phone, and that'll let me know that you want to talk to us. Um Somebody had um, messaged me earlier uh, when we were on live before, and she said she couldn't get through. She wanted to say um, was that her name's Tracy, and she said, as a doula uh, in my part of the planet, what I'm having to do is counsel a pregnant mom through trauma or crisis because she's being told she has to schedule a section due to breach. The psychological ramifications are, in essence, building a group of moms who are fearful along with insecure doctors about their skills. These doctors not trained to do breech births are justifying it by putting the blame on mom. This is heartbreaking, to say the least. I, I agree with that 100%. You know, I mean, the American women fear birth because of the media and all that stuff, but, but there is one group of, of Americans who fear birth more than American women, and that's American obstetricians. And, and that's because they're trained. They're trained in a fear-based world, and so they project their fear onto their, you know, your baby's too big, your baby's too small, you're not growing enough, you're gaining too much weight, you know, all these things. Where you know, there's such a variety of what's normal and not normal. And and um, you know, I was just talking the other day. Uh, I was at a, a, a home visit, and we were and we were just ruminating on things. And you know, the the, the fact that we follow standards. And we don't even know why we follow them sometimes. They, they've been there for so long that the long habit of not thinking them wrong gives them the appearance of being right. And I was saying, you know how the, the, the regular OB visits are every four weeks until you're 28 weeks, and then every two weeks until 30, 20, 36 weeks, and then weekly after 36 weeks? You know, yeah. Why do we do that? I don't know. Why, why do we do that? Why does a woman need to come in every four weeks? If she's perfectly uh. healthy at... 17 weeks, why does she have to come in at 21? I mean, unless you, I mean, that's not a good example because maybe there's an ultrasound or something. But, but why, why, do we, why are we so rigid with that? I mean, how often is it, and I will say this very bluntly, how often is it that a woman comes in for a prenatal visit that we find something wrong where the woman didn't have a complaint, if she felt perfectly right. fine? It's extremely rare. Fair. And, and to follow that, we follow these regimented things. We're always doing things. We're often doing things like, why do we still, in some institutions, they still prep the vagina and the vulva with iodine before a vaginal birth? Why do they do that? Why do they do immediate cord clamping? All right? Why do they take the baby and show it to the mother and put it over in the warmer? Why do they do that? They do that because it's, it's a habit. I mean, there's a, plenty of data that says delayed cord clamping is good. There's plenty of the data that says continuous fetal monitoring is a waste of time. Yet institutions will never give up on continuous fetal monitoring. They think it's a security blanket. Maybe it's a labor saver. I don't really know what they do, but the data shows that all it does is raise cesarean rates. There's plenty of data on that, and they still cling to it like, uh, you know, like a baby with its blankie. And they don't let go of that stuff. And and so the same thing goes on here. There's a fear of birth that permeates our society. And um, I don't know how you change that. I, you know, I, I, I'm trying. I'm on 
<laughs> You're show. definitely doing your part. And um, uh, so is uh, Dr. Berlin. He just came out with a movie. Um, heads up. Am I saying that right? Yes, it's a great documentary. Yeah, I think, and I'm not saying that simply because I think Elliot's great and and I'm 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 in it, but I think it was really <laughs> really tells this. It really tells the story through the eyes of six different women and three physicians and Elliot as to why breach delivery disappeared, and and it shows. I mean, there's there's a uh, one one beautiful breach delivery in it, and ultimately, I think one of the things that uh, Hannah asked earlier, how you get, need to see breach deliveries. And, you know, when I give a lecture, I now have a, a plethora of, you know, a couple of professional breach deliveries, I mean, professionally shot breach deliveries, and also a lot of cell phone, you know, dad or doula shot breach deliveries that I show. And if you just watch them and you see how beautiful and easy they are and you say, for that, I would have had a C-section, I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I will so say, I, I attended your, your class at the Indie Birth Conference, which Marin just did an amazing job with. And, you did you uh, in the front row? <laughs> yeah, I did. I wanted to. I had never seen a breach first in my life. Um, I, I saw one. That's not true. I did see one on um, Call the Midwife. <laughs> but like well, a you real don't see that much with Yeah. Right. Um, and it was amazing. Right. And I really hope to bring you out um, across the country and, and drag you up into Canada and share this around around because people need to see this. It really changed my idea about breach as a as a woman as a doula and as a consumer, um, and I think that's really important. I want uh, I want more of that. I want you to come out and share that all over the place because I think once the consumers start to see, like you said, like I would have had a C-section when I could have had this. Um, those yeah. breach delivery. And, t- and were Tammy, and, and Tammy, and Tammy, your uh, your listener is right. I mean, there is very little attention paid in the medical community to the psychology of the uh, of the of the woman. Mm-hmm. It's really ir- irrelevant. You are. You are basically, when you come in and labor, you're, it's like you're coming in to have your gallbladder out. And it really is very little difference. It's there, you know, I mean, you're not emotionally attached to your gallbladder. I would hope not anyway. I mean, but the, having a baby is not like, you know, having your gallbladder out. And yet, you, you know, you're, you answer the same questionnaire. You're, you're, you're treated, you're put in an IV, you're put in a hospital gown. You're treated this exactly the same way. And then it's very impersonal. And, and you know, and if I heard one more time somebody say, well, at least we have a healthy baby and a healthy mother, all right? I want to, I want to like, slap them across the face, like, six times because, <laughs> you know, that's not just the only – I mean, obviously that's important, but it's not the only importance. The psychology – I mean, I, if you ever – if any of the, your listeners ever go to an ICANN meeting, you know what that is. It's the International yeah. Cesarean Awareness Network. And you go there and you sit and you see women sitting in a circle and they go around they tell their story and the Kleenex box comes out and everybody starts crying because they were they really figured out later on that they were they were hoodwinked. They were denied a chance at their vaginal birth or they were they were induced for no reason or 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 they didn't weren't given options and they're very mm-hmm. upset about it and it affects them their whole life. You'll see one of the women in the in the documentary, um, her name is Liz. And I met her for the first time four years after her, her breech birth, which was done by Cesarean, when the baby's butt was actually sticking out and they had to push it back up inside to get the baby out mm-hmm. by Cesarean. Um, and she's not over it. She's had a VBAC since, and she's still not over it. And she'll never mm. be over it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a time in your life that you're never, ever going to forget. And when you're not made to feel 
respected or dignified in that process, it stays with you for a long time. And sadly, you take that into your parenting and you take it into your community. And it affects more than just one day and and one mom and one baby and and one community. Um, I have a question from uh, Lisa. She's a doula in Switzerland. She's listening live while she's bathing her kids. Um, she helps run the, the European Doula Network and Home Birthers uh, and Hopeful in Switzerland. And she said, uh, Gina, my comment for you is, it's incredibly important that we turn this breach situation around. For me, it's part on part of the ongoing slippery slope. Breach is another variation of normal. And as it disappears, as doctors and midwives lose these skills, I am hearing posterior, back-to-back, sunny-side-up babies being referred to in similar terms these days. If we are not careful, back-to-back will be the next breach and women will begin to believe, as some already do, that these babies also cannot be born vaginally. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Yeah, you hear wow. people talk about posterior babies, and they say, oh, you know, I've got to do everything I can to turn this baby. And, you know, it's not it's not bad to do that, but to make a woman anxious because her baby yeah. happens to be OP. And, by the way, I know midwives are really good with their hands, and maybe they can tell someone's OP. I can't. I'm not that good. And I have my hands on, you know, for a lot many, you know, too many years that I want to talk about, but mm-hmm. a lot of these women know they're OP because they're having unnecessary ultrasounds in the last month of the pregnancy. And one of the one, of, to much to the credit of whoever published this paper recently, came out and said that if you have an ultrasound for basically no reason in the last month of your pregnancy, you have a 44% higher chance of having a cesarean, simply because they'll find something on the ultrasound which will start this cascade of anxiety and then eventually interventions and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that whole thing. So one of the pieces of advice I would tell people is unless you have a medical reason, don't have an ultrasound just to see the baby in the last month of your pregnancy. Because <laughs> they'll find something like, oh, your baby's OP. And now right. they, you know, they're they're making you nervous. Or your, or your fluid is a little on the low side. And so mm-hmm. now they're making you nervous. Stay away from that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, thank you so much first of all, for being so patient with me. <laughs> um, You're welcome. I, I'll have to, want... off to do a uh, pre- home prenatal visit as soon as we're done here. So. Okay, well then, uh, the last question then. Um, uh, before you talked about, and, and at the uh, conference, you had said that um, because you talk about being like being reasonable about breach, can you uh, go over one more time about, because you said you, you pick your clients, if you, if you pick your clients carefully, you, you can do you can do breach births. Um, and I just wanted That's you to right. go over what those nine things were, and then I'll let you go. Okay, nine things. I'll do them real briefly. I won't get. It, I won't elaborate. One, baby should be term, which means 36 weeks on. Uh, two, the baby should be frank or complete breech. People can look that up. It's where the feet are. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, the baby's head should be flexed. That's an ultrasound diagnosis. I think some midwives with skill can probably feel that. I would use an ultrasound for that. Um, in, my, in my initial consultation with breech clients, because I usually meet them late in their pregnancy, uh, estimated fetal weight should be between five, five and a quarter pounds, and nine, nine and a half pounds, somewhere in that range, which encompasses most babies. Uh, the mother should have a clinically adequate pelvis, which to me means that a pelvis that hasn't been crushed uh, or run over by a truck. Um, other than that, I think most women deserve a trial of labor. There's no reason that they shouldn't, because uh, breech deliveries delivery succeed or fail for the same reasons that head first ones do. Babies should have normal fetal anatomy. That's a no-brainer. Uh, In home birthing, labor should start spontaneously, although in hospital birthing induction for proper medical indications is perfectly reasonable. Uh, Here's a no-brainer. The baby has to tolerate labor, um, and that's easy. And then the last one is the nebulous one, the right mental stuff, means that the couple 
and the team have to have trust in their body, trust in the process, trust in each other, uh, you know, have a positive attitude, not, not be sw- um, bathed in fear. And if you have right. confidence, you're more, very likely to succeed. Well, that's the truth in any All right. Well, thank you for so much for joining me, uh, Dr. Stewart, and I hope to um, see you live and in person when we bring some people out. Um, I, we have one more caller. Can I, can I have you hang on for 30 more seconds? Sure. Okay. Just really quick. Hi, caller. You're live on the air. Did you have a question or a comment? Nope. That was just somebody joining us live last minute. I don't have my producer on, so I had to do that. Thank you, Dr. Stewart, for joining yeah, us. Thank you for all the work Gina, that you do. You're welcome. And if you need the links um, to your website yeah. or whatever else, just let me know later. Send me an email, and I'll send you a bunch of links, and then some of your listeners can, can use those, uh, like Hannah in Alabama. <laughs> okay. Hannah in Alabama. I love that. Yeah, we will do. I will all do right, that. Yeah. sure to put it up on our website. Okay, you can take you can go. I'll talk to you later. Say hi to your client for me. And thank you, everybody, for okay. tuning in okay. today. I really appreciate you uh, being here. Uh, bye, bye, Dr. Stewart. Um, and I wanted bye-bye. to make sure that you know to go to our Progressive Parenting Facebook page for all of those links because I will have them up later today after I get them from Dr. Stewart. Um, we are, again, a Progressive Parenting Radio is a listener-funded program. If you enjoy the information we bring to you, please consider donating. You can send PayPal donations to Progressive Parenting Radio at gmail.com. We have been broadcasting for nine years. This is, we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary. I am so excited. I want to thank our listeners and our sponsors for supporting us in our mission to bring great information to listeners like you. I am um, super stoked about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Jane Austen Yoga. She is located in San Francisco, California. However, your clients, your doula clients, can take her uh, classes online. And all you have to do is go to janeaustenyoga.com. She is fantastic. And if you are a doula, I have something to share with you. I myself am going to go ahead and take advantage of this. She teaches prenatal yoga classes for doulas. So you can become a prenatal yoga instructor for mommies who are expecting. And I think that's amazing. And she's a fantastic teacher. So just go to janeaustenyoga.com. If you want to see me live, I want to tell you where I'm going to be. You can always go to ginakirby.com and go to, as I scroll down myself, live workshops. All you have to do is go there and then reserve your ticket is what you have to click on to see where I'm going to be at. And my upcoming dates are as follows. I will be in Santa Clara, California on the 25th of this month. I will be in Sacramento, California on the 26th. I will be in Kansas City, Missouri on April 1st. That is not an April Fool's joke. That is a real live event. And I will also be in St. Louis, Missouri on that same Saturday, uh, April 2nd. Then you can catch me in Norwalk, Connecticut on June the 11th. And then I have a very special flock, yeah, coming up with uh, me and Deborah Pascali Bonaro. If you can wrap your brain around that, I can't. That's going to be in July 9th. And then I'll be in Vancouver for another special flock, yeah, with Wapio on July 30th. And there are many more to come. We've got another flock, yeah, coming up in September, but that's way up ahead. Camp Hill also in September 24th. And then I'm going to be in St. John's, Canada. October 1st. Do you want to add me to your schedule? Go to GinaKirby.com and go to invite me to speak and then hit start the conversation and we can get things going. And oh my gosh, you guys, I almost forgot and I don't know how I did. Uh, I kind of wrote an ebook. Uh, it's called How to Sell Your Client a Bridge, The Art of Introducing the Rebozo or Everything Else to Mom and Her Partner. Take advantage of this pre-sale offer that we are offering you because the official release date is March 18th, 2016. It's going to be $18.95. You can get your copy right now for $8.99. By taking advantage of this pre-sale offer, we will send you bonuses. You're going to get 
tackling social media video that's like over five hours of me talking to you about social media and how to make it work for your business, as well as two 60-page courses on social media that you can typically get through GK University. All you have to do is buy your book, send us the receipt, and receive your free bonus. Um, that's about it. I'm really excited, you guys. Uh, this is really great information for anybody who is introducing the rebozo, a peanut ball, anything that your clients might not be using in their everyday life and how to make them comfortable with it. So take advantage of it. I hope to talk to you guys again soon. Next Wednesday, my special guest is Nicole Shapiro, and we will be talking about raising kids without sexual shame, which is going to be awesome. So put that on your calendars. We are live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. I will talk to you soon. And until next time, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I want to be to love.